Good morning, friends. If we have not met, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, my name is Charlie Salamone. And uh, here at Westview, we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And the big, the big idea that I've wanted you to pick up, and I think you have been picking up, is that God has given us his spirit to drink, to experience. And one of the big reoccurring messages alongside of this is that God is one, and he has called us to oneness. He's created us in his image to reflect and to share in that oneness, the oneness of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We now have been invited into this oneness. That's the great prayer of Jesus in John 17, let them be one. And that's the experience of the Holy Spirit, oneness. So with that reminder, I wanna begin by sharing with you a passage that has in the past actually troubled me um, and how, how I discovered more about the gospel that we have um, just through this. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring you with, you'll see in a moment what I'm talking about. So as a, as a young believer, I would, and I, I still do, and I suspect you do also, if you feel like reading the Bible, it's a big book, you know, <laughs> you'll just open it up to a random page and read it. I don't know if you do that. I do that <laughs> all the time. And God can use that, of course. Well, I would open up randomly, I suppose, to Galatians chapter 5, and I came across something that really troubled me. Let me read it. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 23. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live the, like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is a rather well-known passage of Scripture. Second part, you hang around church. You've probably heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's what we just read, the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the, one of the lists that you got here, right? And, well, there's this other list also of things that are not good. You heard, you heard me say it. You got, you got this list over here of the good and this list over here of the bad. And then the part that troubled me was the second part of verse 21 when he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the, God, inherit the kingdom of God. So he warns them, and this is an important aspect of what he has to say, because apparently that was something he would repeat. I warned you, as I warned you before, that, that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that troubled me for a number of reasons. 
It troubled me because, well, <laughs> some of the things on that list, well, <laughs> well, there's some things on that list that maybe uh, still show up from time to time in my life. So, so there's that. But it also troubled me because, well, I want to understand the Bible and this doesn't fit easily with my understanding of this entire thing. I was introduced to Christianity with the gospel message, as I hope you were as well. The gospel message that Jesus is our Savior and we cannot save ourselves and we do not need to save ourselves because we have a gift of salvation. He's our Savior and it's a free gift. You can't earn it. I hope you've heard that because that's the gospel. He's your Savior. You can't save yourself. You don't need to save yourself. Believe in the Savior. But then I read this, and I see these lists of the bad things and the good things, and he says quite clearly that there's a warning here. If you live that way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And here I am reading Galatians chapter 5, feeling like, well, I need to save myself by making good choices, right? That's sure how you feel if you open up to Galatians chapter 5 and read that. That's what you're going to take away. But the thing is, Galatians chapter 5 is Galatians chapter 5. The book of Galatians is a letter written to the people in Galatia. If you start a movie halfway through, you're not going to know what's going on. So it is with opening the Bible to Galatians chapter 5. The things that he is saying here are built on what he said previously. So, I want to understand Galatians chapter 5. I hope you do too as well. We're going to actually do a little bit of a... We're going to start from the beginning of Galatians and look at some highlights. And the truth is actually quite wonderful. And... This walkthrough of Galatians is something we've done before. We're going to, we're going to do it again. It's, it's, very, it's very good. I'm going to pray. God, help me proclaim you. Help me proclaim your word. But even more so, help me proclaim you. And let us in our hearts worship you and experience you. Your oneness your gift. Let us experience that. In your name, Jesus, amen. So let's begin at the beginning, and then we'll come back to Galatians chapter 5 with better understanding of exactly what all this is about. Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the, bed, from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is the introduction to the letter, and this is also the main point of the letter. Jesus is Savior. To him be glory, and to us be grace. To him be glory and to us be grace and peace. Not fear and trembling when you read Galatians 5, but grace and peace. Grace meaning kindness, undeserved kindness. He is Savior. He came to deliver us from this evil age. He is Savior. To him be glory and to us be grace. That's the... That's the big message. And then, um, and then he gets to the reason for his correspondence with the people in Galatia. 
You see, the Apostle Paul is rather upset, and you're going to see that right away in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So what's going on here? In Galatia, there was a church, and the church came to be because the Apostle Paul was sent to proclaim the gospel, the good news of a free gift of a Savior for all who would believe, Jew and Gentile, um, the, the, the slave and the free, anyone, anyone. Believe, and you have salvation. That is the great message. That's the gospel. And the people received it as a free gift, and they rejoiced, and the church was born. But then, oh no, but then some other people came in. And what they said to the people in Galatia was, oh, we have heard that you received Jesus. That's wonderful. Very good. But if you want to be and remain in the special family of God, there's also some things you have to do. You have to keep these religious rules of Moses. And we won't get into what all that was at the time because it really doesn't matter. The specifics of what they wanted the people to do isn't important because just the essence of adding something to this free gospel message is losing the free gospel message. Let me explain. This great question that fell on my heart when I read Galatians chapter 5. Do I need to save myself by doing this, this, and this? Or can I really just rest and trust that I have a Savior and that I am sealed, forgiven, accepted? Can I rest in him and rejoice? Or is there something I need to do? Something big or small? Must I save myself or can I really just rest in a savior? That is the question. That is the difference between life and death. That is, that's the great question. And if someone comes in and they say, oh, it's great that you have Jesus, but you also need to make sure you're doing this well. If you really want to be accepted by God, let me ask you this. Which one are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on Jesus or are you going to focus on the things you need to do? Because this is the essence of false teaching. This is the essence of, of I'm going to use a church word, a very strong church word, of heresy. Heresy, that's a big word, isn't it? Heresy. That's not a word that I use lightly because if you've been with us recently, you know that one of the great things that we value is unity in the church Unity among disagreements. We can disagree on this and that, and we can still have oneness, and we can still have unity. But there are some things where we have to use that H word, heresy. And the Apostle Paul is using it here, and the language he's using is, he says, if anyone is preaching a different gospel, let them be under God's curse. My old friend Chris Tillman back home he said a better way to translate this in modern day language is if anyone is distorting the gospel, preaching another gospel, let them be damned to hell. That's, that's rather strong. But that's what he's saying. This isn't one of those let's agree to disagree. And the reason is, this is what he says here, this is a different gospel. Um, says that in verse 6, uh, verse, verse 7. They're trying to pervert the gospel. It's, it's not the message. It's seeking to undermine the very essence of Jesus is Savior. To him be glory and to us be
be undeserved kindness, mercy, and peace. Let's, let's keep reading. We're going we're gonna to see this spelled out a little more. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that word that I used, heresy, um, So that's, that's when it's not just disagreements among Christians, but that's when there are ideas that are in contrast to the essence of what God is trying to do. And really, there's, there's, there's really two types of, of heresy. Every time I use that word, there's a part of me that just cringes because it's so, it's so strong and so um, piercing. And it's almost something we don't even want to, there's a part of us that just doesn't even want to include that idea because, because um, sadly that word has historically been used in ways that it shouldn't, um, causing divisions among God's people. But there are, there are two kinds of false teaching that, there's really only two kinds. Let me explain it this way. There is some kinds of false teachings that will say, Jesus is not enough. Okay, you have Jesus, you believe in him, that's good. But if you really want to be accepted, go to heaven, have God's approval, you also need to do this. And the this, depending on the different types of false teaching, that might be different things. Some might say you need to do this, you might, might need to do that, but it doesn't matter. As soon as you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. That's one kind of heresy is to say that belief in Jesus is not enough for salvation. In today's generation, there, there's another kind of heresy that is, seeks to do the same thing, but in a different way. And the other kind of heresy is to say that Jesus isn't necessary. As in just live a good life. Just live a good life, and, and if there's a God, and if there's a heaven, that's fine. You don't need this salvation in Christ. And you see what both types of heresy tries to do is take your focus off of the Savior. Because as long as you are hearing this message and believing this message of the Savior, all the gifts of God, all the experiences of his glory and his oneness are yours in Christ so let us keep our eyes on that message. Jesus is Savior, and he came to live in us, to be, to be our life. And so this verse I just read, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might, that I might live for God. In verse 19, that, that deserves a little bit of explanation. What is the law? Uh, the law in the Bible, um, well, that's, that's what happened at, at Mount Sinai, right? That's, uh, if you know the story, Exodus chapter 20, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, I suppose. Maybe you can't list them, but you've heard of them. You know those exist, the Ten Commandments. That happen. Um, well, the important thing to understand regarding the law is that before there was a law, there was a promise. Um, the gospel message was preached beforehand thousands of years before Jesus came, it was preached in a way to a man named Abraham, and God made a promise with Abraham. Um, through your seed, um, all the world will be blessed. And this promise was without any qualifications. It was without any conditions. There wasn't any, like, I promise, but you also have to do this. You know, it was just, he made a promise. And God's heart for the people was to rest and rejoice in that promise. And Abraham started having kids, and they started having kids. All these people with a promise, but in their hearts, did they lean on the promise? 
No, they didn't. They did what the people in Galatia were starting to do, and they did what people often do. They took the normal route. And let me explain that, the normal route. There's a very normal way of thinking when it comes to God. I'm going to grab someone on the street, whether they're religious or non-religious, it doesn't matter. And I'll say to you, what do you need to do to be approved by God? What do you need to do to go to heaven? What do you need to have his favor, to have his blessing, to avoid his curse? Let's just say you believe in God, even if you don't. Let's say you do. What do you have to do to be a good person, okay, to be accepted by him? And the answer they're going to give is, well, to be a good person, you have to do good things, right? Act like a good person. If you want the blessing, if you want heaven and all of that to be a good person, do good things. If you want to be accepted by God, live a good life. That's the normal way of thinking. And what I want you to see very, very clearly is that's the normal, logical way of thinking that stands in contrast to the gospel message that Jesus is Savior. You need to be really clear on this, because if you're not really clear on this, you're going to fall into confusion. That's what was happening in Galatia. They were falling into confusion. They thought they had Jesus, but they needed to do these things in order to be accepted. It's a normal way of thinking. And so what did God do? You have all these people who should have been resting in this promise, but instead... They're doing what is very normal. Hear this. This, this, is, this is so normal. If you don't hear anything, please hear this. People, they live lives in their heart apart from God. Very normal. In their heart, they're separate from God. But they comfort themselves with this idea that it's okay because I'm a good person. That's the normal way of living life. We were created for oneness, but instead of living in oneness with God, we live apart from him, but it's okay, but it's okay. Everyone knows I'm a good person. And well, what did God do? How did he respond when his people were living with such normal, wrong ideas? What did he do? He gave them the law. Exodus chapter 20. Now I want you to picture this. You think you're a good person. It's the normal way. No matter where you go, you grab someone. Almost everyone thinks they're good people. It's just one of the things that our hearts do. They, they tell us it's what, it's what we want to believe and it's what we do believe. It's the fallen human condition. So you got, imagine yourself. You think you're a good person. You're standing on the banks of this mountain. Apparently God's going to show up and talk to us. God shows up, and how does he come? You see a thick, dark cloud. You see, this is, read, read Exodus 20, it's exactly how it goes down. You see fire, you see lightning, you hear thunder, you see smoke. Not just, not just like smoke, but like thick, fuming smoke, and it's shaking. And you hear the very words of God spoken. You hear them with your own ears. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. I will be first in your life for the Lord your God is a jealous God. And then he goes on with the rest of the commandments. And I want to tell you something that they felt, which you also would surely feel. Any notions of, it's okay if I don't live for God. It's okay if I'm apart from him in my heart because I'm a good person. Those notions are gone. In the presence of God, nobody, nobody's going to stand under this delusion of, I'm a good person and I'll be accepted by him because I do good things. On the day the law was given, the people understood that. And you know what? 
That's exactly what he wanted. That's why the law was given. It's so common to look at the Ten Commandments and think the reason why God gave the Ten Commandments was to teach us how to be good people, as if we didn't already know. The reason the Ten Commandments were given was to show us, those who would listen, was to show us that we're not good people, so that we would be ready when God sent his Son to be our Savior, so we would be hungry and thirsty and looking for this salvation rather than wandering on under this delusion that we don't need a Savior because we're already good. The law was given to humble us. The way that it says it in the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, the law was given so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable. For through the law comes consciousness of sin. In other words, the law was given so that prideful people, us, would shut our prideful mouths and say, I need, I need a savior. And so he says in verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. The apostle Paul understood that this law is not a way for him to live. The law says, what the law says is the one who does these things will live by them. And the Apostle Paul says, no, I didn't take that route. I died to that. And he says this, and there's so much theology here. There's so much that I could say about this, and this is one of the most magnificent verses, really, in the New Testament, if you understand it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with him. There, there's a lot we could say about this passage. The crucifixion of Jesus, the payment that he made, it's, it's over, it's finished. The requirements of the law in him are complete. Every good deed that needs to be accomplished in order to be accepted by God, he did, finished. And every bad deed that we did that is going to bring forth God's judgment he paid for in his crucifixion. So he did it all. He lived the perfect life and he died the sinner's death. And so for us, there's nothing left to do. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm crucified with him. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with him. What do you mean by that? And this is the great magnificent truth that if only we could taste, and by the Holy Spirit we shall. The gift of God is oneness with God. The gift of God is intimacy more than intimacy. The two shall become one. Oneness with God. To know him and to be known by him in the secret, deepest places of our heart, he will live the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Jesus is Savior. That's the great message, and that's how he lived in his heart with that truth. Jesus is Savior. He loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul is a very intellectual person who talks a lot about ideas and theology and in this verse alone, he gets more personal than he gets anywhere. Here he's not talking about a God who has love for the world, and he surely does. Here he's saying, he loved me. That's how I live. I don't walk around hoping to be accepted by God, thinking that I do good deeds. No, it's Jesus the Savior, and he loves me. And that's how I live. And as far as the law, as far as the demands to, to bring forth good deeds, crucified, complete, Jesus is Savior, and I'm one with him. That's how he lives. And you need to see that's, that's, that's the opposite of, well, I need to save myself by doing this and that. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 goes like this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? 
After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So, again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Once more, he is showing that there's a difference. There's a stark difference. The law says, do these things and be accepted. And the gospel says, Jesus is Savior. To him be glory and to us be grace, kindness, peace. This, this gift. If you don't see these things as opposite, then you'll never understand what all this is. This is verse, verse 5 very much gets my attention. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Oh, I, I greatly desire this. That's why we're doing this series, to experience God. And it's my desire that he would be working miracles among us. And I mean that in the most literal of ways. I want those who are outside to hear about what God is doing inside. And the way that comes forth is not by us doing our Christianity in a way that is pleasing through things that we do, but it's rather by going back to this very message. It's a gift. It's always been a gift. You know, I've been reading, you've heard me mention the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, um, it, it, something that happened in North America and, and Europe to some degree, uh, 1600s. The person who is most credited with being the catalyst um, was a, a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And according to him, the sermon that brought forth the revival, the sermon that sparked it all, uh, was a sermon, I think it was called Justification by Faith, but it was on Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Verse, verse 4 and 5, I think it goes like this. To the one who works, his work is counted as a wage. But to the one who does not work, but trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. His, oh, now I'm forgetting how it goes. For him, it's a gift. And it was this, and, and what Jonathan Edwards said was to him, it felt like the revival that happened. And the word revival, what meant was religious devotion and joy was spreading. It was a phenomenon. He said to him what the revival felt like was God's stamp of approval on the doctrine of justification by faith. Which is a way of saying just this that I'm saying now. Without getting into these theological words, justification. So what I'm talking about is being approved by God, being welcomed in, how it's a gift. The one who does not work the one who does not try to save himself, but instead rests and trusts in the God who gives us salvation as a free gift. His faith is counted as righteousness. That's the heart of God. And anyway, so he says, does, does, does God work his spirit and, give, and do miracles through works of law or by believing what you heard? I want to see this revival and I want us to experience God. Last week, it was quite beautiful after the service. So many people came up, and uh, the prayer team and the elders laid hands and asked for, for the Holy Spirit to, to fill us and for us to experience him. And that's beautiful. That's a mechanism that God uses. I read about it in the scripture, so we do it. And, and I, I would love to see that every week, people lining up to just be prayed over to experience more. Before I got up here, I asked Chris to lay his hands on me, pray for me, pray for me. All of that is good. God uses it. If this message is coming forth clear, thank Chris for praying for me because God works through things like that. And I mean that. I mean it. I was rather nervous. 
But if you're not clear on this point that I am saying, laying hands is just a work that won't do anything. This is the truth that unlocks the river of life in our heart. The truth that Jesus is Savior and there is nothing left for us to do, only to accept it and believe. There's no other good deeds that must be fulfilled. For he was crucified and the debt is paid. That's, that's the great message that must be preserved and protected and proclaimed. For it's this message that life and revival flows forth from. Uh, <clears throat> Um, when you get to verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, What I mean is this, the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. All right, there's more theology here than, than I have time to dive into right now. But some of the things going on is the same thing that we said previously. Before the law came, there was a promise made, an unconditional promise. And that promise was given to Abraham. If I make a promise with no conditions, I promise I will give you this, period. I promise. I can't come later and say, you also have to do this if you want it. That's, 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 that's breaking the promise. You can't change a promise. You can't change that if you want to be faithful. And we sing about and we proclaim and the Bible testifies to God being faithful. He's faithful to his promise. So the law conditions, you can't add that. Just like the false teachers in Galatia were trying to add conditions to a promise God had already made. A promise of salvation. And today, you hear this a lot. Subtle ways that people are trying to add conditions to the promise. Um, this thing that he says in the end, he's, he's talking about the law, and he says the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, a mediator however, implies more than one party, but God is one. There's, there's something profound in just what the point he's trying to make. The law was given through a mediator, and if there's a mediator, that means there's more than one party. Contrast that to the gospel. Because in the gospel, there's one party. In the law, you have God and you have us, separate. Okay? A mediator stands between these are the things you over here need to do to please God who's over here. But in Christ, we are in Christ. Oneness. There's no longer a need for a mediator, for we are one with him. I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I live. He lives in me. The two shall become one. The, 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 the old hymn, it was, in, it was in my head. One with himself, I cannot die. We've, we've passed from death to life in his body. It's, it's, it's a truth that, that we can go deeper and deeper into. In Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no longer, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Once more, sadly, I'm looking at the clock. I want to have time for Q&A. There's a lot of theology, more than we can get into. But I'm going to try to summarize something that I think is very special. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. That we might redeem, receive adoption to sonship. The law this requirement to live a good life. Once more, when you think of that, you think of Jesus. 
because he fulfilled it completely. Perfect. To redeem us. So that we could go from this place of just being people that need to live a good life that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that's a really another way of, of explaining this. We receive adoption because God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that calls out Abba, Father. So, this is like 10 years ago. It was international news. There was this woman who adopted a seven-year-old boy from Russia, a woman in the United States. Apparently, he, was, he had problems. He was violent. It was scary. He had issues. She said that his issues were... She said her, her, his issues were bigger than she expected and more than the adoption agency disclosed. So what she did was she put him on a plane back to Russia. She sent him back. And the world was outraged. And rightly so. Because there's something we fundamentally understand, and I think this was something that God must have given to us. Adoption is a holy thing. You can't adopt, this is my son, and then say, I changed my mind, send him back. That's, we all know that, that it doesn't matter. Maybe the adoption agency totally lied. Maybe they were completely untruthful about who this boy was. It doesn't matter, does it? You adopted him as your son. He's your son. You, you can't send him back. That's, that's awful. And I ask you this. Would God ever, ever, would God the Father ever, ever behave like that woman who the whole world was outraged by? No. No, absolutely not. And that's part of the point here. We've received adoption into his family. The law says, live, do good deeds and you live, do bad deeds and you die. But adoption says, you're mine forever. What can separate us from the love? What does a father do when his child misbehaves? Discipline, perhaps. But not exile. Not judgment. Not lake of fire. That's for enemies. That's not for children. God will discipline us to shape our character. I can, I'm a witness of that. It's not fun. But, but that's done in love. That's not the same thing as those who live under the law and die under the law. We have a spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father. We're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir being God's child and being an heir, an heir means an inheritance. Um, we are rich beyond measure. If our eyes were open to this truth and what it, what it means, all the fear in our life, all the anxiety, all the anger, hatred, it would dissolve because we would see clearly a wonderful truth. In him we are full. In him we have completeness, wholeness, peace, Glory, riches, waiting to be seen. That's why we continue to just proclaim this message of Jesus as Savior. To him be glory and, and to us be grace and kindness. So now we've returned to the verse we started with, and I think we're going to understand it better now. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So now we read this. 
And do we feel like we need to be our own savior? Do we need to save ourselves? No. When he says, walk by the Spirit, what does he mean? He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not desire, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What he's saying, what he means by walk by the Spirit is walk with this confidence that we have a Savior, that we're his children, that we're safe, we're secure, we'll never be cursed by him. One with himself, we cannot die. He loves me. I've been crucified. It's over. The debt is paid. Walk in this truth. And from your life is going to flow naturally. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Naturally. When you have this joy in your heart, you're going to have peace. You're going to have love. These things are going to manifest. Why a warning? What's the point of the warning that he gives? What is he really warning about? He's warning about trying to do it the other way. He's warning you against thinking that your goal is just to live a good life and be accepted, to live under the law, so to speak. Because the fruit of that is always bad things. Here's something that the world has actually discovered. Some of the most evil people on earth are very religious. It's true. Religion or no religion. If your religion is not about the free gift of salvation, you're living that way, and the only thing that it's ever going to bring forth are the bad things in this list, no matter how much you try. But resting in him, from him, from that flows all the gifts of the Spirit, all the life that we have, all the joy. Um, in, our, in our preacher uh, chat chain, chat uh, thread, um, someone asked a really good question of like, what is this sermon? What, what do I want from you on Monday? How do you take this on Monday? And I want to explain. You're going to wake up in the morning on Monday, and perhaps you'll have to go to work or school or whatever. You're going to have your anxieties, frustrations. You're going to have your Monday issues. And I want you to walk by the Spirit on Monday morning. What do you do? You live with this truth. I am his. He is mine. He lives in me. Saved. Forgiven forever. Jesus is my savior. To him be glory. To him be praise. And to me be kindness and peace. You walk with that truth. You let that truth be the fuel of your life the source of your joy. Jesus, who loved and gave himself for me. You walk by that truth. That's what I want. Um, I need to come up. Hopefully we have some time for questions. I realize that this theology as as important as it is, sometimes it, it draws questions. And so I, I want to invite that. I, I kind of suspect what questions are coming. But go ahead. Mia. So um, if you're in the congregation here this morning, you can just put your hand up and somebody will come with a roving mic. And if you don't want to be chosen, you can text. Um, for those of you online, we'd love to hear from you, so go ahead and um, text us in. There is a question over here. So here's one question as the mic is coming. Um, how do we know that we're wrong if we think we're right? <laughs> What's our heart position? No, I don't know. I mean, you go to the Bible, you read. Um, one of the scary things about pride is that it blinds us. Those who walk in pride think they're right. It's, it's a scary thing. So a big do? purpose of preaching, preaching God's truth, is, is hopefully so that people um, would hear God's word and sometimes come to conclusions of, you know what, I've been wrong, even though I've thought I've been right. The Bible has a way of doing that. The Bible has a way of, of opening our eyes and humbling us and showing us we're wrong so that bit in scripture that says search my heart yeah that might, yeah, that might my help heart. right it's, uh, 
That's something that I was praying this week when I was reading multiple psalms. It says, purify my heart. Purify my heart, God. Yeah, ask God for wisdom. He always gives it. So let's be brave and do that and see what God does. <laughs> Question. Yeah, so what would you say for people who would go the other direction of like, oh, well, I have the free gift of salvation so I can do whatever I want and then fall into that list of like envious and There it is, Megan. I knew it. I was like, <laughs> I know a question's coming. So, no, the reason why is because that question always flows. I'm glad you asked that question because it shows that you're paying attention because that's what happens. People hear this message and the natural reaction is, so then I just do whatever I want and I welcome into heaven. And really, I think that's why Galatians 5 falls on Galatians 5 because he's answering that question. People having understood the first few verses are, are wondering that also and he's answering that question. And he's saying, no, because the fruit of life, if you're believing this message, it's going to bring forth love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, if your life doesn't manifest those things, you don't really believe. That's what he's saying. I mean, we all make mistakes and we all fail, so I'm not saying that, like, if you're a Christian, you're going to do these things perfectly. We, we see in a mirror dimly and such. But the one whose life is just as, as evil as it ever was, and they're like, it's okay because I believe in Jesus... You don't really believe because to believe means he's living in you and your life is showing that he isn't. So really, can you? Can you believe in Jesus and then just go and do evil things and be accepted? Yes, but you won't. You won't. And if you do, you don't really believe. So. I think maybe we'll leave it on that note. Okay. Uh, um, I, I, I would like to pray for us. Father God, as a church, let us behold this truth and let us accept it, for it is the key to unlocking life and, and truly revival, Lord. Let us sing your praises as people who are wholly forgiven and let us truly glorify you as Savior. To you be glory and to us be grace. Fill our hearts with this truth by the power of the spirit that lives in us. In your name, Jesus, amen.